Thanks, Jack. It's great to be here and to be sharing the Word of God with you today and uh, to be able to come together and, and just listen to God speaking and hearing Him, having just a bit of a time out in the week where we actually stop from our busyness and take time to listen to God. So that's why I'm really praying this morning that you'll be listening to Him. Don't sort of forget I'm here and really try and listen to God speak what he's saying to your spirit. Because he'll be saying things to you that's going to be different to the person next to you and different to me. Because he loves you all individually and he wants to speak to you this morning. So be listening to him, all right? Just sort of try and imagine God's right here. And uh, I really pray that the Holy Spirit would, would be on every word so that it ministers to your spirit as you need this morning. Now, I'm going to ask the host team to hand out some... Um, Papers, if you could take one. We're ha- Look, I'm going into the teacher mode this morning, I'm sorry. Um, we're going to do a little bit of assessment here in church this morning. Now, these are not going to be handed in, okay? This is just self-assessment. No handing in of anything, no checking. No, this is between you and God. And so there's pens and paper, if you could please take that, uh, because I really think sometimes we just need to reflect and think on what God is saying. And you may not want to complete it here today, but if you don't, I encourage you to take it home and, uh, and, and really come before God and, and talk to Him about what He wants to say to your spirit. But it'll be a help, a guide you'll remember when you leave here and um, after today. So I'll just wait for a moment while those sheets are going around. Um, pen, take pens if you need pens, and uh, we'll quickly do that before I start. When you think back over history, why do you think it is that the gospel, gospel spreads at such a rapid rate at certain times? Why do you think that is? If you look back, like when the Salvation Army started in 1878, within 10 years, it went to 20 countries. Now think about that. Just think about that for a moment. There was no, there were no planes. So it's not like you could hop on a plane and fly somewhere quickly. But it, in, it, within two years, it was in Australia. So it's, that's sort of the furthest place away from the UK where it started. So what, you know, yet... In, when they started the work, they were on street corners, people were throwing tomatoes at them, people were absolutely abusing them, and, so, and yet the work flourished. It, it spread at a rapid race, like a wildfire. And if you look throughout history, it seems that the times when the gospel really spread like wildfire was when there was most, most opposition, when there was persecution, when there were restrictions that limited its spread, I mean, you know, back in 1878, there was no Instagram where you can sort of quickly put up a post saying, here, the church is opening here today, come. No one, no one had that, let alone, you know, the post took six weeks to get from England to Australia by boat. And so, you know, there, wasn't the, there were a lot of restrictions around why, why it should spread, but it did. And why it spread, it was because it was the Holy Spirit at work. That's the only reason. It's not man. And often the problem comes that when we have opposition, we fall on our knees and we recognise that we need God because there are things against us. And so we cry out to God and we ask Him to help us. We, We cry out for Him to be at work. We cry out for Him to do what only He can do. But when there's no opposition, the danger is what sets in is apathy. And we sort of settle back. And we've got what we need, so we don't need to fight for it. 
And the, the danger of that is that then we think we don't even cry out to the Holy Spirit anymore because we're, we're okay. There's nothing against us. We're all good. When do we pray? We get on our knees and pray when we're desperate. When we want a country to make sure that we don't, you know, that we protect our rights to be able to believe what we believe, to have freedom of belief, the nation started praying. Our nation, people around, Christians started praying and fasting. That's what Scott Morrison said. People came up to him. Margaret Court sent out an email to churches all over Australia saying, pray and fast so that we can have the leader that God wants there so that we can have, we can have, and Forget about political agendas here. I'm just talking about God here and what he does and how he breaks through. And, and so we need to see that it's not us that's going to do it, but God, the Holy Spirit. And that's why our theme for this year is on fire. Because I tell you what, if we are not on fire with the power of the Holy Spirit, our, you know, the, the church will die. Without the Holy Spirit, the church will die. I think about Australia and I think, you know, actually I was reading this week from the, have you heard of the Voice of the Martyrs? It's a group that supports people who are in persecution around the world. And I was reading an article from this by, by a man called Brother Jonathan. And he said that what we are seeing around the world is really a gospel wildfire. Do we see that in Australia? He asked one person from Burma, one of the indigenous leaders, about their strategy. He said, our secret is Fridays. What we do is we identify a village where we're going to go and then on Fridays, the whole day, we pray and fast before we go. So we're ready to go out. He said, that's our secret. If it's going to be a difficult village, we pray and fast for a week before we go because we know that without the Holy Spirit, there's not going to be breakthrough. But when they do, they see people turning to God. He said, prayer creates an atmosphere for the wildfire to burn. In India, in a, in a uh, state called, um, let me just get the name of this, Uttar Pradesh, it's one of the most unreached states in India. And there's a thousand young pastors who go out every day into the villages. One young minister told this brother Jonathan from Voice of the Martyrs, I ride my bicycle into a village where there are no Christians. So he rides a bicycle, he puts a drum on the front, he puts tracts with a lantern on the back and a small speaker. He, he rides into the village, he starts banging the drum to get attention for people. And once he's sort of got a crowd gathered, he then preaches the gospel, hands out tracts, and he said, people repent and a church is born. Right then. He said, what about the other times? And, you know, that's, that's it's a village he was telling him about. He said, well, then other times I get beaten. And so he said, well, what do you do then? He said, well, when I eventually wake up after from being beaten, I just ride to the next village and start again. He said there are a thousand other young ministers doing that same thing on their bikes, going out into the villages and preaching the good news. And now, in a, in a state of India, Uttar Pradesh, where there have basically been no Christians, there are six million people who have accepted Christ as their saviour. That's a wildfire. That's God working by the power of the Holy Spirit, by boldness. The last few weeks, it's what we've been talking about. We've been talking about preaching with boldness. We've been talking about, about ministering healing 
by the power of the Holy Spirit. We've been talking about the testimony, our testimony, which spoken out to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and what He does in our lives, about how that changes lives. And today we're going to talk about unity. We're working through the book of Acts and we're up to Acts chapter 4. The spark for this gospel wildfire, wildfire is the Holy Spirit. Don't mistake it, that's it. Nothing else, nothing of us, it's the Holy Spirit. And the fuel, the fuel is boldness, it's being willing to suffer, it's being willing to pray, to get on our knees and cry out to God, not to be apathetic. Our prayer meetings should be bigger than our meetings. We should be desperate, desperate for God. And if we are, if we want to see the Holy Spirit work, He will show up and He will do what He can only do and there'll be a wildfire in this nation that will take the gospel and spread it as only the Holy Spirit can. So today we're looking at Acts 4, verse 32 to 33. If you, if you like to look to the screens, I'll read that. We're looking at how does the Holy Spirit work? He works in, in the church through unity. Unity. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. Have you heard the saying, united we stand, divided we fall. We need to stand united. You know, there's nothing more attractive than a family that is united or a team that is united, where one player doesn't try to promote themselves over someone else, but they work together. There's nothing more attractive or appealing or inspiring than a church that is united, where all the believers, it says there, all the believers were one in heart and mind. Now, if we look back at the Gospels, we see that there were times where the disciples weren't like that. They fought over who was going to be the greatest. They doubted Jesus. They lied about him. But now, this is not the case. It's different now. They're united. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, they have one heart and one mind. Now, this heart and mind is not me saying, well, this is what it is, so you'll all have my heart and my mind so that we'll all be one. It's not that, or it's not someone else, or us trying to all have, you know, think, what is that heart and mind? We know, we've been told what that one heart and mind is. It's the heart and mind of Christ. That's what we are to have. We are to have one heart and one mind, and that heart and that mind is that of Christ. So coming to our sheets. Have a look at it. Just have it, take it on, look to the side that says the heart of Christ. There's two sides. One says the mind of Christ, the other one the heart of Christ. I'm going to go through some verses this morning, look at just scripture so that we can see what is the heart of Christ. And you don't have to do it now, but if, if not, you can if you want to now, or if not, take it home. I want you to think about how does my heart align with the heart of Christ? A heart of compassion. Can I, can I say that the word compassion that Christ has is an action word? So with passion. When Christ had compassion, it wasn't just a feeling, it was an action. 
You see, pity is a feeling. We can have pity for someone, we can feel sorry for them, but that's not having the heart of Christ. We have to have a heart of compassion and compassion will act. It will act. So all the time when the, when, the, when the power of the Holy Spirit fills you and you have one heart with Christ, you're going to have a heart of compassion and that will act in circumstances. So let's have a look at Jesus. We're going to look through these um, seven things. I'm not going to preach on every one of them. I'm just going to look at the scripture, okay? So don't get paranoid about the time. I'm not going to have a big sermon on every, every area, okay? Mark 6.34. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, now Jesus is coming from a place where John the Baptist has just been beheaded. So he's very sad. He's grieving the loss of John. And so are many other people. And so he's sort of withdrawn for a time. He's withdrawn so that he can have time to grieve this loss. But so he went in a boat and then he lands. And when he lands, this is what happens. He sees a large crowd gathering. You imagine, you've just lost someone so dear to you and you try and withdraw and suddenly people are there. What are you going to do? Are you going to say, look, I'm sorry. I'm just, I haven't got the time now. I just need some time to myself. No, he said he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. There are people in our lives that we come across who have lost their direction. They, they just don't know where they're going. They are lost. What's our response to that? Do we have compassion that acts, that wants to take time with them to help them to find their direction, to help them to find that Jesus is the way, that he can show them, that, that if they come to him, they will find, they will no longer be lost. They will find hope, they will find freedom through Jesus. What's our heart towards people who are struggling, who are lost? Do we have time for them or are we too busy doing what we have to do? Matthew 14, 14. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. So here Jesus sees people who are not well. He has, you know, how often do we feel sorry for people who are, not, who are sick? You know, so we hear about people and we feel sad, we feel sorry for them. But do we have compassion for them? Do we reach out and say, I'm going I'm to pray for you. I'm going to go out of my way to come and pray for you because God says, by my stripes, by the things that I suffered on the cross, you are healed. God says, I am the God who heals you. He does, it's just not words. It's just not empty words. He is powerful. And he calls out to us and says, will you have compassion for the sick? Will you reach out to them and pray for them? Pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to be released in healing in their lives. We need to be ready to act on our feelings, not just to feel sorry for people, but to go out of our way. And we might hear about someone, then what are we going to do? I just heard this morning, Joel Piggott, who is a student who used to go to our school and, and, a, and you know, is uh, very sick in a hospital in Mexico. I can think, oh, poor Joel. Now, I'm not going to get on a plane to Mexico, admittedly. But I need to get on my knees and pray for him and pray for healing for him. I need to act on my feelings of, of, you know, feeling sorry for him. I need to have compassion. I need to act. 
How are we going with that? If someone tells us they're not well, do we immediately step in and pray or do we say, oh, I hope you feel better? I'm sorry you're not well. Matthew 15, 32, next one. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. We've just come back from Malawi and it it does, it breaks your heart when you see children who are hungry. And, you know, it does. My heart is what... God, what do you want me to do? I'll do whatever you want me to do. It's a yes from me, whatever you want. But there are people in our city who are hungry, who are physically needy. Are we ready to have compassion and reach out? We have an opportunity with uh, Street Safe. Yes, it's a bit uncomfortable to have to go out at 10 o'clock at night and walk the streets till 4 a.m. or 3 a.m. whenever it is. It's a little bit uncomfortable and we may feel tired the next day, but... People out there are directionless and lost. There are people out there who need healing and there are people out there who are hungry. What is our heart? Do we have the heart, do we have the heart of Christ for these people? Matthew 20, 32 to 34 says, Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? Okay, these people are coming to Jesus. They're seeking him out. What does Jesus do? Have you ever been, you know, feeling very busy and someone's coming, you just want to, like, try and avoid it so you don't get interrupted? Have you ever had that happen? Where you just sort of want to think, I want to try and sort of go this other way or try not to see them or, or you know, not be interrupted by, by it because I'm, I'm busy or I'm this or that. Jesus stopped. He interrupted what he was doing his routine. He took time out. He stopped for that person. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. You know what? We're not going to ever be there fully. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, he can give us the ability to stop, to have time, to have the sort of compassion that puts ourselves out of the way and lets him work. And when I'm saying to you this this morning, please understand I'm not up here thinking I've got this and I'm telling you what to do. I'm here very challenged by this. God's speaking to my heart as much as he's speaking to your heart. He's saying, do you have my heart, Pam? Do you have my heart for these people? Mark 1, 40 to 41, a man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. Just that in itself. Here's someone who's rejected by society unclean. What's our response to that? When someone who is, you know, who may be sick or, you know, this disease was was terrible disease. And Jesus' immediate response, his compassion, his act was to touch someone who would have never been touched for a long time. 
And there are people in our society who are desperate to be touched because they've been rejected, they've been hurt. And they're wanting us to reach out to them. Are we willing to reach out and touch them? And let them know, as, as you know, we need to love people. And they, let them know that they are loved. So he reached out to the rejected and he said, I am willing. It becomes a personal desire within us to want to do this. It's not just like I have to, but I want to. I want to find, reach out to the person who's rejected and let them feel loved. Let them feel that they are a part of the, the love of God and that he wants to draw them in. No reticence. I don't want to think, do I, you know, I want to, my heart is that I would do this out of a desire that just acts. So today, do we have the heart of Christ for the rejected? Luke 7, 12 to 14. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the coffin and those carrying it stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. There are many people in, our, in our, the world in which we, around us, immediate world, that are, that are suffering, that are sad, that are grieving. And we are to have compassion. God, the heart of Christ is to, to want to, to reach out to them and to support them, to stand alongside of them to walk with them in that journey so that they feel that they are loved and cared for with the heart of Christ. Finally, we have where Jesus not only demonstrates it, but he teaches about it. He teaches about compassion. We know this story quite well, probably. Maybe you've never heard it before. From Luke 10, 33 to 36. It's a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's, a, he's just um, attacked by bandits and he's left to die on the side of the road. A priest walks by and he walks right on the other side. He wants nothing to do with him. And someone of the law walks by and he goes over and has a look, but then he walks on and away. This Now we pick up the story. But a Samaritan, this man was a Jew. Jews and Samaritans were enemies. A Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now, perhaps the man, the Levite, also took pity when he saw him. Poor guy, bashed up, left to die, walked on. But the Samaritan had the heart of Christ. He put it into action. It said he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. He ministered, he cared for him. It was an action. He went, he bandaged, he put the man on his donkey, took him to an inn to take care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So that's all action, isn't it? It's, it's he's doing, he's putting it into action. So the heart of Christ, a heart of, compa com sorry, a heart of compassion is one that is not just pity, but action on what God is stirring up within us. Let's turn to the other side now quickly, the mind of Christ. What is it to have the mind of Christ? It's to have a mind that thinks like Christ thinks 
And Christ thinks how God thinks. He thinks about everything from God's point of view, which is very different to how the world thinks. Most of the world thinks about everything from my point of view, what I want. But this is different. This is thinking from God's perspective. And let's quickly look at some of the things that, that, that Christ thinks. In John 17, 4, it says, I brought glory to you, Father God, here on earth, by completing the work you gave me to do. To have the mind of Christ means that we want to, everything we do to bring glory to God. That's challenging, isn't it? When we think about from day to day, our day to day actions, that everything we do brings glory to God. When we do that, when that we seek that and we desire that and we want that to happen, that's having the mind of Christ. The second thing is that Jesus said in Luke 19.10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So to have the mind of Christ means that we want to find those people who are lost, seek them out, and then help them to know the love of Christ. We, that's, our, that's what we need to do as well. We need to think about how can we do that? And then we need to action that. The third thing is that about that uh, Christ, the way his approach to life was through uh, an attitude of humility and obedience. Look at Philippians 2, 5 to 8. I've got these two together in the next section. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's challenging to have the mind of Christ that is willing to humble ourselves to a point where we will sacrifice everything. But that's what God is calling us, and we can never do that in our own, we could never, ever do that in our own strength. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, day by day, step by step, He will empower us to love like that, to recognize how great He is, and without Him, we can do nothing, and then to step obediently into His will. And finally, there's many other things, but just concluding this morning, to have the mind of Christ is to pray to recognise that we need the help of God our Father in every circumstance. In Luke 5, 16, it says, But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He needed his Father's guidance. He needed his Father's wisdom. And so do we. To have the mind of Christ is to be one that recognises that we need God every day. And the way we seek him is through prayer. So how do we gain the heart of Christ? How do we gain the mind of Christ and, and have it growing within us? Well, it's very simple. In 1 Corinthians 2, 10 to 12, it ex explains this. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. 
What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. It's when we have the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us that we understand the mind of Christ, that we understand his heart. And finally, if you go to the bottom of the page of the mind of Christ, there's four quick, four things. I'm just going to read them out. That will be, this will be increasingly um, developing in our lives if we are one in heart and mind. The first thing is that your devotion to Jesus will be increasingly more important to you than your devotion to the world. Why would that be? Well, Christ has given us life. Christ has saved us. He has rescued us. He has delivered us. We think about what he did and who we are, then why would we not want to be devoted to him? Secondly, your humility is increasingly more important to you than your greatness. Less of me and more of God. Your bond with one another, our bonds as believers, are increasingly more important than our possessions. Going after things and and accumulating things and, and money and all those sorts of things, that takes time and energy and effort and thought and all of that sort of thing, which then we don't have the time for each other because we're too busy with the things of, of, of the world, the material things. What happens is that when the Holy Spirit is living in us, these things become less important and our relationships with each other become more important. We live with a spirit of generosity towards one another. And finally, your love for others is more important, is increasingly more important than your love for yourself. When we can put others before ourselves, that's a sign that we're having the heart of Christ and the mind of Christ. And you know, it was this kind of unity in love and devotion that helped fuel the conversion of the world. These believers in the beginning, they got together and they were one in heart and mind. And through that, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the world was changed. It wasn't a program. It wasn't a scheduled revival meeting. Like, let's get a revival meeting happening and we'll get everybody saved. It wasn't a lecture series. It wasn't even a great church service. It was the Holy Spirit. That's what it was. That's what it is today. And it's the same for us. And what happened then is that as you go through Acts, you see 3,000 converts, 5,000 converts, multitudes converted, numbers multiplied. That's what you just read all through the book of Acts. The growth the wildfire happening when the Holy Spirit is at work. Spurgeon, who is a great writer, he says, another effect of a revival on the church is the promotion of true love and unity in its midst. True love and unity. One heart and one mind, that of Christ. After all, these two qualities were the hallmark of the Holy Spirit's work in the first believers. Now the company of those who believed were of one heart and mind. This God-given power of unity led them into joyful action. And what did they do? They gathered for teaching. 
and prayer. They fellowshiped. They sold what they had. They broke bread in their homes and they worshipped in the temple daily. And people were added to the church daily. I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to do the same work today in Newcastle as He did back then in the first church. He's no different today as He was then. He's the Holy Spirit, Spirit of God who can, can transform, can heal, can, can save. And this morning I believe that, that we need to uh, really reach out to God and not be complacent, not sit back and say, oh, well, someone else can do that. Or, you know, if you want the best in your life, if you want the very best, God's got it for you. Nothing you can create or do is as good as what He can do in you. If you want healing today, if you want God to make you whole, the power of the Holy Spirit will do that. That's why He died. He said, by my stripes you are healed. He gave everything so that we could have everything without having to pay the price. Today, you may not even know Him. You may feel that you're directionless and lost. When you reach out for Jesus and you let the power of the Holy Spirit work in you, you will see that He will give you a new way. He will give you life, not just for now, but for eternity. And so this morning, we're going to take a few minutes to pray. And I want you to allow God, the Holy Spirit, to stir up in you a desire to reach out for Him. Maybe there's an area there that you say, God, I need you to help me in this. I need you more. I need more of you so that I can be empowered to have your heart. I need more of you so I can think the way that you think. Because sometimes, you know, what I want takes over all the time. But I want what you want. I want to humble myself before you and let you be at work in my life.